Well, welcome to a special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is Memorial Day uh, 2023, the Memorial Day holiday. And this is a day for us to reflect, of course, to give thanks to God for his goodness and the men and women of our military who have uh, fought valiantly and paid the ultimate price to, we remember their sacrifice today to defend our freedom and our liberty. Today here on the program, I am going to get into a little analysis, balance, and clarity of the history of Memorial Day, uh, formerly known as Decoration Day. That'll be coming up in the second half hour of the program. To kick things off, though, I'm going to revisit a conversation about uh, why the pursuit of intimacy with God happens within the context of adversity. It is definitely a fight. An author and pastor, author and pastor Ben Stewart has written about it in his book called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. There's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's get into part one of my conversation with Ben Stewart on this Memorial Day edition of The Bottom Line. Well, today we're going to have a special conversation for this segment here on The Bottom Line about a brand new resource that I think is going to help us uh, have a better perspective of what's going on in the world around us. I mean, we don't have to live in the world too long before you figure out that you really want to have intimacy with God. There's no question about that. But one of the ways that God allows for and sometimes even drives us to him is the adversity that we face in life. And it definitely is a fight. The good news is it's a fight for us, but it's a war that the Lord has already won on our behalf. And uh, joining me here today on The Bottom Line Show is a man by the name of Ben Stewart, pastor and author of a brand new book called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ben Stewart is the pastor of Passion City Church in Washington, D.C. He had previously served as executive director of Breakaway Ministries, which is a weekly Bible study attended by thousands of college students on the campus of Texas A&M for 11 years. Has his master's in historical theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. And it's a pleasure to welcome Ben Stewart to The Bottom Line Show. Ben, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you, Roger. Thank you so much for having me. What an interesting uh, journey God has taken you on, first from College Station <laughs> in Texas all the way to our nation's capital. I mean, it, they seem kind of like polar opposites. Help us understand your perspective in terms of the ministry that you have, and you know, even we'll get into the book a little bit, but you saw two different sides of America over the past couple of decades here. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. I had a, a pastor ask me recently, hey, can you give some advice to that want to leave the South and go to the North to plant churches. And I was like, I don't think I'm the guy to answer that. I went from a young, educated, motivated town in College Station, Texas, to a young, educated, motivated town in D.C. I'm like, it's a very <laughs> similar demographic. Yeah. But, so oddly enough, it's the same. They kind of work on semesters. There's a lot mm -hmm. of overlap. And I'll tell you, it was wild that the first book I ever wrote was on dating, just because I watched college students struggle so much mm -hmm. in the world of romance. And, and then when I arrived here, I was invited to the Capitol, and I met with the chief of staff of a senator, said, how can I serve your people? And the first thing he said was, no one knows how to date up here. He said, their relationships <laughs> are in turmoil. Oh, he said, my. do you think you could speak to that? And I was like, oh, yes. And so I kid you not, before the church even launched, I was speaking in the Senate to a packed room because people wanted to talk about relationships. And the chaplain of the Senate was like, are you famous or something? And I said, no, <laughs> I'm not. It's the felt need of yeah. your people. So, you know, like you said, it seems like an odd path. It's one of those things God does, you know, like Joseph, from prison to Pharaoh, doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense on a resume. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
but that's where we are. I never would have imagined, and I, maybe this is just my own bias or, or my own ignorance, I never would have imagined that Washington, D.C. was real. I know younger people who've been there. I had a friend of mine, actually, his yeah. wife did her, uh, she's a, a, an attorney, and she did uh, a clerkship at the second district court. You know what I mean? So it was a pretty high, highfalutin way for them. But I thought, well, Dustin and Jen, they're kind of the exception rather than the rule. But our nation's capital really does have a huge concentration of young adults, doesn't it, Ben? Oh, it leaps out at you when you show up here. And, you know, one, one moment really illustrated it for me. I was speaking with a senator, and I asked him, how many staff do you have? And he said 120, 60 in his home state, 60 over here. And I said, what percentage are millennials at the time in their 20s? He was like, oh, all of them. Hmm. And you go, wow, that's one senator. And granted, from a larger state, but still, you go, that's each one of these uh, Congress people have an army of young people behind them that all move here. And then when you think about the military, so many people serving our country are are young. And so when you turn around D.C., it shocks a lot of people. And I tell them, I don't know if it encourages you or terrifies you to know your government's being run by 20-year-olds. Right. But it is filled <laughs> with them here. Wow. This makes us a special place to do ministry. It's not easy. Yeah, but it is special. I'll bet. Pastor Ben Stewart is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. It does sound like you're kind of looking back on uh, the life that we are called to live. And yet, as you point out in this book, the idea is that since Jesus has won the ultimate and decisive victory, which is great over sin and death and hell, that sets us free. But it also turns us into warriors because we're going into a culture that has gone so left-leaning and progressive that we have a hard time finding Jesus in the culture, let alone being Jesus in the culture. Talk about what, why this book was so important for you to write, not just for younger people, obviously, but for Christians at every uh, stage in growth and development, as it were. Yes. Well, I found in my own life and with so many people that even though they may not say it, when they come to Christ, they just think life will get easier. Like some of my struggles will go away, some of my addictions maybe will cease, my anxieties will leave, and it's enormously discouraging to still struggle and try to hide it because it's shame. Mm -hmm. and, and if you do that too long, you start to wonder, is there really any power to what Jesus can do in somebody's life? And so I just talked to so many people who are discouraged because they don't feel like they're able to advance in life. And I certainly experienced that. And then I do think forces in the world today have, have made it even harder. There's, there, we're, we're just seeing the data now that all this connection online has amplified our anxiety and then reduced our intimacy with other people. Like young people today, Gene Twenge talked about this, spend 40% less time with friends. So some of their traditional buffers to stress are gone. Mm -hmm. And so all this anxiety, all this polarization, less connectivity relationally. And so when you go to an oasis, many are turning to addictions. And, and so I just talk to so many people that they do not feel like they're moving forward in life. So frustration breeds hopelessness. And what I wanted to show them is, hey, it feels like a struggle because it is. And like you said, Jesus has won the decisive victory, but he hasn't freed us from the fight. He freed us for it. Like before, yes. we were just victims, just powerless to sin. But now sure. we've been called to struggle well. And so, yes, what I wrote was my best attempt to show people 
hey, if we can put shame down, then we can pick up strategy and go, if life's a struggle, how do we struggle well? And uh, I call this book a field guide to the spiritual life. It's helping people move forward. It's great encouragement from Ben Stewart today here on The Bottom Line, pastor and author of the brand-new book that's called Rest and War at Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. One of the things that I really appreciated about the work, Ben, is that even though you are ministering to a lot of younger people, or I should say in an area right now in D.C., uh, where th- there are such a huge, uh, there's such a large concentration of young adults who are experiencing this kind of hopelessness and meaninglessness and George Barna tells us that statistically they're less and less inclined to trust the Bible or any sort of overall moral authority because they kind of think they have to make it up on their own. What you write about in the book Rest and War is the fact that these, you call, I love how you call it a field guide for spiritual life, but the principles you're talking about are actually ancient. I mean, they're, we're talking about old school biblical stuff. It's not some newfangled survey. So those of us are going to read the, who are older are going to read this book and say, Hey, this is great. I know this. I remember this. Thanks for the affirmation. Yeah. Give, give us an example of what you, you kind of have to play it, though, to a different younger crowd, don't you? I mean, they, they won't hear it the same way we will. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I say that this book is transposing ancient methods into a modern key. Mm. You know, I think for those of us in Jesus, anytime you have a truly novel idea, you should be worried. You're probably starting a cult. Like, uh, <laughs> what a believer does mm-hmm. is they say the ancient thing in a new way. Mm-hmm. And what I found is fascinating for me in D.C. is I don't track further from the Bible to try to reach young people. I'm tracking closer to it, because I think so many people feel so adrift in life. They're looking for something stable. And Jesus has always and continues to be a compelling human being. So we have people come to church that don't know him, but I will put the Bible up on the screen and walk them through verse by verse, and people will cry and not know why. They just go, there's a power here. So, yes, I'm doing, I hope, what Jeremiah did. You know, he said there's a young generation standing at the crossroads asking where the good way is. They're like, I'm at a crossroads right now. I don't know where to go. And he points them to the ancient path where they will find rest for their souls. And so you're right. I'm saying the ancient thing in a new way. And I do hope some old school believers will look and go, okay, here we go. These are the stars we've always been meant to navigate by in our pursuit of intimacy with God. Great counsel from pastor and author Ben Stewart today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life is the name of the book. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Ben Stewart is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The brand-new book is called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ben Stewart is the pastor of Passion City Church in Washington, D.C., after having served for 11 years at Breakaway Ministries, uh, the, the Bible study that was attended by thousands of students at Texas A&M, what led you? What was the calling to Passion City? Was it an actual call, or did God start speaking to your heart and saying, go to D.C. because it's the same as what you got here, only it's just northern, <laughs> more eastern, more you know, more political, I don't know. Yeah, yeah there was a bit... Um, you know, I loved leading on the campus of Texas A&M, loved ministering to college students. But yeah, there was a time where I was like, I, I feel me to be a pastor. Means. 
uh, like what to do with that. And Louis Giglio had been and continues to be a mentor. Right. And he came and said, I have a vision of seeing passion churches in other cities. Uh, would you be willing to do that? I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know. I'm asking you to do that. So, so <laughs> we said yes, and without clarity on what city to go to. So my wife wow. and I spent half a year going to major cities. We said, we want to go to culture-shaping cities. Like, as those cities go, so goes the culture. And I tell people all the time, I'll tell you, sometimes you can you know, watch the news and get so discouraged, and, and there's definitely a lot to be discouraged by. But I went to city after city in America and saw vibrant churches seeking the Lord, and it was so encouraging to Don and I to go, the church is alive all around the world. It just doesn't always make it onto the news. And then D.C. surprised us when we showed up here. We saw there's great churches here, but not at the same volume as as number of people arriving in D.C. So long story really short, we moved here, and it's been a wild ride ever since. And well, it certainly way more expensive like, than Texas. Yeah, than Texas. I was going to say there's that whole lifestyle thing in terms of that part of it, but also, you know, but uh, it's interesting because you're you're now in a place where you're working with a lot of younger adults who are realizing they have a lot of the same issues that we older folks do. And one of the things that the title is so. Uh, it can be a little confusing to people. Maybe it's very provocative to talk about rest and war because on the one yeah. hand, we we understand we're engaged in spiritual warfare, but on the other hand, uh, Pastor Ben Stewart, we're, everyone's seeking rest, and uh, you and I were talking during the break about some of the ways that, that Americans, uh, American Christians, are looking to find rest and freedom from anxiety. Uh, how do we find yeah. that balance between the rest that we're looking for, the intimacy with God, and the warfare that we're called to here in the spiritual realm? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. When I moved here, I had a pastor friend tell me, Ben, beware of the pace. You will just get busy, 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 and it'll wear you out. And I think for when I look around at the world today, whether people are real active, like workaholics, or whether they're just constantly taking in data on their phones, there's all kinds of information, but what we've lost is meditation, to be still before the Lord. I mean, you think about... You know, 15 years ago, when you were laying in bed at night, it was you and your thoughts and God. When you were sitting at a stoplight, it was you and your thoughts and God. And that could turn into prayer and meditation and reflection and and then maybe some innovation, maybe on how you need to change your life. Mm -hmm. But now, moments are not prayer. They're, They're our phones. And so you think about how many billions of prayers have been lost in years. And again, now the data is coming out that when we take a break from the stress of the world by jumping onto our phones, it's not relieving our anxiety, it's accelerating our anxiety. Mm -hmm. What would give us rest is actually waging war on our own soul. What I'm trying to do in some of this book is empower people with agency. We need to have an awareness of how we're being impacted by these bigger cultural forces, and then make a decision. How am I going to change? What am I going to and for me, I realized my kids are in school. They come home. There's two hours before they go to bed, and I do not want their memories to be dad choosing a phone over them. Mm. So I'm making a choice. This phone goes away. And the more I live out of my values like that, the more I get that sense that God designed us to have. So that's part of what I'm helping people do, evaluate their life 
And so they can make informed decisions on how to live it. And so for me, I think controlling our media consumption is a big part of it, particularly social media. I yeah, think it can be yeah. so difficult for us. It certainly um, can. I'm t- I, I want to just remind our listeners who are just tuning into this part of the broadcast that I'm talking with Pastor Ben Stewart today here on The Bottom Line, and he's the author of a brand-new book called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ben, you were talking about that two hours, and I, I love that idea that you're saying, hey, look, I have purposes that God has given me in my life. I want more meaning in my life. I've got a daily routine that I can't really shake. I mean, obviously because of of work or family or whatever it is. But you chose, like with your kids, to be intentional and say that two hours is not going to be my kids remembering, oh, yeah, dad was playing Scrabble or watching ESPN or, you know, <laughs> doing whatever yeah. because he had, yeah. and, and knowing, but you have a tough day too. I mean, especially in pastoral ministry in Washington, D.C., my goodness. Talk about how you recommend and encourage us in the book, uh, Rest and War, to say, okay, here's your schedule. Here's what we're going to do. But if you redesign it, then it's going to cultivate the environment that allows you to flourish. It's going to help, you know, your kind yeah. of take every thought captive. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I had to learn this through pain, Roger. I um, injured my back catastrophically uh, earlier, uh, several years ago, and it was to the degree that a doctor said, you may not be able to walk again. And upon reflection, you know, there was an event that kind of incited this back injury. But at the end of the day, I had lived with so much stress in my body because I would just work all the time that I was so tense. I was kind of a ticking time. Uh, when I did injure my back, I had a month where I had to lay on the floor on my face and couldn't really move. And then mm. by the grace of God, was able to get up, was able to walk, but spent about six months doing back rehabilitation for hours. And, you know, I was in my 30s, and everyone else in the room was in their 60s or 70s, but we're all doing these very gentle exercises. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, Psalm 23, God said, He makes me lie down in green pastures. I never thought of that as a violent verse, but I realized (laughs) I never stopped. And so He had to make me lay down. Mm. And it was in that long season I realized I'm working seven days a week nonstop, and now, now my body's getting the rest I was denying it. And you realize, man, this whole Sabbath rhythm was, and I have to shape how I live my life so I can be productive for years. I can keep walking with vibrancy. So for me, that sense of agency, I realized, man, God has demanded of us that we organize our life to produce flourishing. I mean, that's the call in Genesis. We're called to be cultivators. Right. Which, when you cultivate, you you organize raw materials so that life can reach its full potential. That's what gardeners do. And I realized I was not coordinating my schedule so that Ben reaches his potential. I was mm-hmm. coordinating my schedule so my back would break in my 30s mm-hmm. and I would have a heart attack in my 40s. And I'm like, well, then I need to change that because wow. by the wow. grace of God, I want to be around a long time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do I take that agency and redirect my my time and my energy. And so, again, it's a longer story, but I'm telling you, like, I've learned it through pain of going, this is what God's called us to, is to, like the parable of the talents, I've given you some life, invest them in a way that brings a good return. And uh, I've realized I have to do that with my time. And so some things take more of my time, and I realize some things don't get to be in my life anymore. And 
the Bible loves gardening imagery. And I've realized there's some things in my life that are like weeds. They just get pulled out. Yeah. I don't have time for them anymore. Right. And there are other things I really need to plant and cultivate. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'll give you one example. I realized yeah. if, if my children wake me up or if the first thing I do in the morning is check my phone, in either of those scenarios, I start the day in a reactive state, and that's not a good place to respond to people from. Uh, it kickstarts the stress response, and I realize, no, I have to wake up early before my children, mm-hmm. and I need to not look at a screen. I go straight into the Word of God, and I write out my feelings. I, I write them, how are you feeling? And I let the Word of God shape my affections, because that's the simple devotion to the Lord is our calling. So I want my heart with thoughts of God that are fueling an affection for God, so I'll walk. And then I step into a relationship with my kids, being the dad I want to be. I step into the relationship with my wife, having the grace and compassion and care that I want to have. But I realized if I want to live according to my values, my mornings have to change. And this phone needs to get a lot further away from the bed. Amen. And i got to wake up a lot earlier than these kids. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not easy to do. You would think that they would sleep in and give oh, dad and mom a break. But they uh, don't. It's brutal. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I'm grateful that you've had these revelations and that you've survived these uh, these medical challenges that have led you to a greater spiritual awakening, Pastor Ben Stewart. The book is called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And as I mentioned, we're going to be giving away a copy here in just a moment. But first, I want to thank Pastor Ben Stewart for being a part of the program today and uh, for this great book. And for uh, thanks for sharing with us here on The Bottom Line Show. Really appreciate you, sir. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And that concludes my conversation with Ben Stewart today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Rest and War, uh, Rhythms of uh, Well-Fought Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we all get a little battle-weary and discouraged at different times through our lives as Christians. And, and Ben knows what it feels like to be there. But trust me, uh, this is a guy who's a pastor at Passion City Church in Washington, D.C., uh, ser- formerly served as the executive director of Breakaway Ministries, which is a weekly Bible study at Texas A&M. I did that for about 11 years. Thousands of kids showed up to that study. And uh, we're grateful that we had a conversation with Ben. This has been a very, very popular book over the years, and we commend it to you. A link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, some thoughts about rest, war, and Memorial Day. That's all coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
My thanks again to pastor and author Ben Stewart for joining me on this special edition of The Bottom Line today here on Memorial Day, uh, revisiting our conversation about his book, Rest and War, uh, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. That book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's still extremely popular. And you know, it's interesting. Um, This is a field guide for spiritual life, this book. Um, Ancient methods of transformation transposed into a modern context. And I'm grateful that he did this. I mean, um, this is the, the idea that there is a war for our faith and rest and war gives us the tools to and the courage to fight this thing. I think one of the things that people forget in the body of Christ is the fact that we are at war. It's spiritual warfare. And we have to learn how to find those moments of rest where we can abide in God, but we also have to find those pockets where our abiding in him means we're obeying him in the battlefield. Remember what the armor of God looks like, though. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul describes the weapons of warfare, the helmet of uh, peace and, the, and the, sh- the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the uh, breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt buckle of truth. And notice a couple of things about that. First of all, there's no- nothing covering your face. You have to be able to see. Secondly, there's nothing covering your back, which means God basically is equipping you to fight side by side, all the uh, shields of faith interlocked back in the old Roman days, by the way. And the idea was that you were moving forward in the battle, that no one was sneaking up from behind you because your enemy was in front of you. The enemy is the devil. It's sin. It's everything that's wrong with this culture and everything is before you. Think about the soldiers that we're commemorating today on Memorial Day, the ones who willingly paid the ultimate price to defend our freedom. You and I are fighting for something much greater than the freedom and liberty of the United States of America. We're fighting for the eternal soul of the church and for our brothers and sisters who have yet to profess faith in Christ and join the family of God. I commend this resource to you, but also on this Memorial Day. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll do a little analysis, balance, and clarity of the history of Memorial Day to give us a little bit of understanding as to how this day really has much more spiritual significance than we might be thinking. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome to this special edition of The Bottom Line Show today. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad you're here. As we celebrate Memorial Day 2023, and if you are uh, with us today and have a day off, and so maybe this is a time when you wouldn't ordinarily get a chance to listen to the Bottom Line Show on any of our great affiliates, uh, we are able to synchronize this uh, this half hour for every station that carries the Bottom Line Show today here on Special on Memorial Day. So glad you had a chance to tune in. Hope you've had a nice holiday weekend. One of the things about the bottom line shows, by the time this usually rolls around uh, for whatever station you're listening on and whatever time zone you're in, we are typically at that point where the holiday is pretty much over. I remember uh, when my kids were younger, uh, years and years ago, I mean, my goodness, the oldest is 35, the younger will be third, turning 33 soon, and, and then um, uh, the youngest of that brood, 29, and then adding another 35-year-old this year on the bonus side of the equation along with a 28 and a 26. It, it, it's thinking back to when you lived in a neighborhood where you did do the block party, where you did get together and maybe do fireworks and have volleyball or whatever it was you played because the weather hopefully was nice. Um, it's a time to remember. I remember growing up in a family where we used to take Memorial Day and go to 
the uh, the the mausoleum or the memorial park and place flowers on graves and and that's a very nice and sentimental thing to do but typically memorial day is i mean you've got three holidays that impact us on on the uh, well on the military side there's armed services day there's veterans day there's memorial day and it's easy to remember uh, the difference between the two, a lot of people have a hard time with it. I had a hard time with it for the longest time. Veterans Day happens in November, and that's when we thank everybody who ever served in the military or people who are currently serving. Um, it's Armistice Day. It was originally on November the 11th, and it was a time, it was the end of World War One, and that's when we thanked everybody who'd served. Memorial Day actually has a history that goes back further, but just if you want to think about who we honor on Memorial Day, you honor the people you remember. In other words, the people who gave their lives, paid the ultimate price for uh, defending our freedom. I know a lot of churches yesterday and over the weekend had worship services where they sang patriotic songs and then they asked everybody who was a veteran to stand up. And I appreciate the fact that they did. I, quite frankly, though, would rather see a Memorial Day celebration where you remember those who have paid the ultimate price. And you could do this for years. I mean, this is something, it doesn't have to be just currently. Um, growing up, in a, spending half my life in a Lutheran church, I remember that All Saints Day or All Saints Sunday was where we remembered those who had gone before us. And that's when we would have, our church used to do a really dramatic ringing. We'd have a member of our handbell choir uh, stand up in the chancel area and then uh, two of the pastors would go back and forth and read the names of the people who'd passed away. And in our church, with a lot of senior citizens around, it usually took a while <laughs> to get through that. Uh, there were years where we would have 35 or 40 people who were buried into Christ for you know uh, the, their final resting place on earth, and maybe five or 10 people who were baptized. You know, like some churches, it's the other way around. But Memorial Day is the day when we remember those who paid the ultimate price defending our country. And so if you had a father or grandfather, maybe mom or grandma or uh, a son or a daughter who did, uh, Memorial Day is the day to honor their service. I would venture to say, and I'm going to, this might be somewhat controversial for some, but I'm going to throw it out here anyway. I think it's absolutely appropriate on Memorial Day to honor the memory of someone you know who served in the military, came home from theater of war and wrestled with PTSD to the point where ultimately they felt they couldn't go on. I know those statistics vary anywhere from 20 to 30 to 40 people per day who have military backgrounds wind up taking their lives once they get home because the post-traumatic stress disorder is so bad. But Memorial Day is absolutely a day to honor the people who wound up paying the ultimate price. Just because you did not lose your life on the battlefield doesn't mean that your death was not the result of that. Or someone who sustained an injury uh, in war and um, that injury led to their ultimate demise. That's something to, uh, to, to bear in mind as well. So Memorial Day is the day that we celebrate those who have uh, paid the ultimate price, who died in battle for their uh, their service. Now, what's interesting about Memorial Day is depending on where you look and depending on where you read, Memorial Day has a very deep spiritual significance. It also has a significance in uh, remembering the people who actually served our country and then paid the price 
in one theater of war in particular. Do you remember which one that is? Yeah, the Civil War. In uh, On the 30th of May, 1868, the first widely observed Memorial Day was, honor, was offered uh, by a proclamation of General John A. Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic, which is an organization of former Union sailors and soldiers. And so they decided to commemorate the sacrifices of Civil War soldiers by official proclamation. From 1868 until 1970, Memorial Day was observed on May the 30th. Once the Monday holiday bill took over, it became observed on the last Monday of the month of May. So today, May 29th, is Memorial Day, even though Memorial Day was technically officially May 30th. And because May 30th, uh, that's a day that uh, we, we mark and commemorate. So you'll typically see that Memorial Day shows up on the final Monday because of the Monday holiday bill that was signed by, I believe it was enacted during the Reagan administration, but it was signed during the Nixon administration or something like that. Uh, they started rolling it out. But you ask the question, when did it change from May 30th, which could have been any day, to that Monday? It was actually in 1971. Uh, the law was changed from the observance from May 30th to the last Monday in May, and it was extended to honor all soldiers that died in American wars. Now, there are some states that will actually continue to hold on to May 30th, as is their choice. Remember, we are the United States of America. And so the United States of America means that each of the states has their own measure of sovereignty and are therefore allowed to, if a state says in by state decree, we have a state Memorial Day holiday on May 30th every year, states can do that and some of them still do. What happens though, uh, because of the Monday holiday bill, as it were, is that for federal employees, it's the final Monday of the month of May. So this month, uh, if you were wondering, I was wondering, the uh, National Religious Broadcasters Convention was last week, and I'm a little out of sorts because it was in May. It's never in May. They had it in June two years ago because of COVID. They weren't sure if they were going to ha even have a convention. This year they had it in Orlando in May, and I don't know how well it was attended. I wasn't able to go. But it's interesting when you think about um, uh, the, the Memorial Day holiday and how much information versus misinformation there is. Um, it's, it's very interesting to think. May 30th is still a state Memorial Day holiday in some states. The final Monday of May is Memorial Day if, like, if the, the Monday the 31st is the 31st, then that's Memorial Day holiday as well. Um, what makes it even more interesting is when Congress and President Lyndon Johnson got together in 1966, they wanted to honor the page two veterans who had fought in the Civil War. And so they declared Waterloo, New York to be the official birthplace of Memorial Day. And on May the 5th, 1866, which was the first day that Waterloo had actually honored these types of people, they decided that uh, they would have a ceremony on May 5th. And flags were flown at half-staff. Again, up until around 1970, this was just to remember the Civil War. Now, let that sink in for just a moment. The idea that Memorial Day was celebrated by America as a holiday 
that was recognizing those who had paid the price in the Civil War. And they continued to be remembered for over a hundred years after the end of the Civil War. That sounds very well and good. And can you imagine what it's like if you grew up in a part of the country where that's what you were told? That Memorial Day was celebrated on May the 30th. The birthplace of Memorial Day is actually Waterloo, New York. May the 5th, 1866 was the first time they, they honored the veterans of the Civil War, Civil War ending in, uh, in 1865. And then by 1866, they had Memorial Day. In 1868, the first official proclamation of Memorial Day to commemorate the sacrifices of Civil War soldiers, uh, Proclamation John, uh, General Johnny Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic, organization of former Union sailors and soldiers got together, and that's the history of Memorial Day. That's what you get from PBS, by the way. That's what you get from the mainstream media. And then the only change has been in 1971 when they went to the what we call the Monday Holiday Bill, it became Memorial Day would go from May 30th to the final Monday of the month of May, but then also that it would honor all the war dead, not just people who died in the Civil War. That sounds good. I think people understand that and they're ready to go. But is it possible that we might be getting it wrong? Is it possible that perhaps... We haven't gotten the whole story with regard to Memorial Day. Now, you heard what I shared. Waterloo, New York, May 5, 1866, the first Memorial Day, page two veterans. By May 30th, 1868, two years later, Memorial Day organized by Union soldiers for Union sailors and Union ground troops. Celebrated on May 30th from 1868 through 1970. By the time the Monday holiday bill kicks in in 1971, the decision was to put it on the last Monday of the month of May. And that was just the Monday holiday bill made it so that federal workers got three-day weekends. That's when President's Day showed up. Uh, officially, by the way, President's Day is something we refer to as it's still Washington's birthday. We, we, we covered that three months ago. But... Is it possible that we're not getting the whole story on Memorial Day? I believe it is. And as we continue, I want to get into a little missed history segment about the history of Memorial Day that I think it's important for us in the body of Christ to know. Because once you understand the full weight of the Memorial Day holiday, I think it'll take on a deeper spiritual significance for you and for me. Let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Wright's personal injury attorney today at capewrightradio.com slash Law. 
you won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing. Welcome back to the special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, blessed and I, I, happy Memorial Day sounds kind of weird because Memorial Day is a day that started out as uh, well. There was uh, the Memorial Page Two Day in uh, uh, New York in uh, April, excuse me, May the fifth, eighteen sixty-six. Um, it then became known as Memorial Day by May thirtieth, eighteen sixty-eight. General John Logan leader of an organization of Northern Civil War veterans called for a national day of remembrance for those who died in the Civil War. And then it continued May 30th, 1868 through May 30th, 1970. And then in 1970, two things happened. Uh, first, the date, the holiday date was moved to the final Monday of the month of May. So it could be the 31st or like today, it's the 29th, whatever the last Monday of the month of May is. And then it was also expanded to recognize anyone who'd ever died in war serving our country. Okay, so there you go. That there, There's your Memorial Day holiday, and now we return you to your barbecue. Unless, maybe, just maybe, that's not the whole story. Let's take a look at how we got Memorial Day. It sounds great to think that a bunch of Union soldiers got together in 1868 and said, let's remember the sacrifices of everybody who uh, lost their lives on Memorial Day, or we'll have a day of memorial, a day of remembrance. But what if I told you that that wasn't in fact the case, that it didn't actually start in 1868 and it didn't actually begin with a group of Union soldiers who were remembering their side of the Civil War battle. What happened in the South was that many people who were formerly enslaved found themselves in a very awkward situation. Charleston, South Carolina, 1865. The Confederacy has surrendered, and now... You've got a problem. And the problem is what to do with your war dead if you were slaved or enslaved in the Confederate South. See, the Union went all out. If they lost men in battle, they were doing what they could to make sure they received proper burials, that families were notified, they had identification papers, et cetera, et cetera. And there were some freed slaves who actually fought for the Union, of course, against the Confederacy. They had proper paperwork. But many of the people in the South who were fighting were slaves. There's no documentation for them. There's no way that their family knew your son, your husband went off to fight in the war and you didn't know if they were coming home or not and you didn't know if they were going to come home. And then when they were pronounced dead, what do you do? Well, what's happened early on is that as soon as the Confederacy surrendered in 1865, many of the slave families started looking for the members of their families who had been killed. They were trying to find out where they were. And once they did find them, they would mark a special grave for them. And then they began to take notice of the fact that they would decorate 
those graves. So if you discovered that you had a, uh, a group of slaves who had fought for the Confederacy and they died and you were able to locate the bodies and maybe identify the bodies, you would then establish these graves and then you would decorate them to let the family know this is where our son is buried. This is where our husband is buried. And they began to have these celebrations, as they called, to celebrate their lives. They would um, have these springtime tributes to the people who died. They would decorate their graves with flowers. They would recite prayers. This was definitely a Confederate thing. Now, some people in the Union began to notice that this was happening, and they thought, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and you know, start these different memorial gatherings. It's interesting that the federal government declared that Waterloo, New York, was the site of the first official gathering of Decoration Day. That happened on May 5th, 1866. But, and the only reason they did it was in 1966, the federal government said, yeah, 100 years ago, that's where it happened. But the actual Decoration Day movement started in Charleston, South Carolina, less than a month after the Confederacy celebrated. Now, Waterloo, New York, was picked as the starting of Memorial Day, quite frankly, because they used to host an annual community-wide event. Businesses would close. Residents would decorate the graves of soldiers with flowers and flags. And so the federal government said, hey, we heard about this Decoration Day. Where did it start? I don't know. Waterloo, New York has been doing it, so we're going to go ahead and do it. General John Logan actually got the idea for Decoration Day, a.k.a. Memorial Day, from the slaves from the people who were marking their graves. That had then been picked up by Waterloo and some other communities, but it originally started as what was called Decoration Day. And Decoration Day was something that happened in the black community primarily. The slave community were people who had no way of tracking and whatever and had to spend months literally looking for bodies, looking for people who were part of their families. I, I want you to imagine this for a moment. You might say, well, gosh, it was so widespread. It was so horrible. Hundreds of thousands of lives lost. I mean, how could you possibly begin? Let me ask you the question. And the question is really very simple. What if it were a member of your family that went missing and you never saw them again? Do we just throw up our hands and say, oh, well? If God is the author and creator of life, Psalm 139, knits us together in our mother's womb, Whenever I hear of a family saying we're not doing a memorial service because it would just be too traumatic, it would just be too over, I said, did you send out a birth announcement? Because if you send out a birth announcement letting the world know, hey, we heard the heartbeat, we saw the ultrasound, we've got a baby. Hey, the baby's born, isn't this wonderful? And we mark all their birthdays and their anniversaries and their graduations and weddings and maybe divorces, I don't know, but you, you mark all of that stuff, but then you get to the end of their life and then just kind of pretend they weren't here? What do you do with that? I think it is downright sinful to just pretend that somebody's life just ended and no one cares. Now, I know ultimately God knows, and ultimately one day we'll all be reunited with him, souls are with him, the bodies are in the ground, but I do believe that it's important for closure purposes to be able to say that's it. Decoration Day ceremonies started popping up among the slave and formerly freed or now freed slave communities and people in the union started to take notice so general logan 
was a leader of an organization for Civil War veterans on the north side, and he said, well, you know what? This is a good idea. He picked the 30th of May, 1868, and designated it, I'm quoting now, for the purpose of strewing it with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every village, city, hamlet, and churchyard in the land. He took the idea of Decoration Day and changed it to Memorial Day and then picked May the 30th, 1868, to celebrate. You know why he did that? Because, quite frankly, it was chosen because it was not the anniversary of any particular battle. <laughs> so there you go. So the southern states kept honoring the dead in different areas, but there's one reason why the northern tradition and Memorial Day became more important to Americans than Decoration Days, and it doesn't have anything to do with race or ethnicity. Can you guess what it is? We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this special Memorial Day edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh doing a little analysis, balance, and clarity as to how we got Memorial Day. Quite frankly, it began as something called Decoration Day that was very popular and common in the African-American community as families uh, uh, that were formerly enslaved were looking for the remains of their young sons and their husbands, brothers, fathers, uncles who had served in the war and wanted to give them proper burials and then took time to actually in the spring once everything thawed out let's put some flowers on the graves let's recite some prayers let's sing some hymns and let's celebrate their lives a couple of uh, members of the northern delegation general james garfield being one of them and uh, also general john logan took up on this and said hey may 8th, uh, 30th of may 1868 we're going to have our first decoration day celebration but we're going to call it Memorial Day, and it caught on. Let's take that day, because it doesn't have any battle attached to it, and let's celebrate. The first Decoration Day, Jim Garfield made a speech at Arlington National Cemetery. There were 5,000 people there to de decorate the graves of the 20,000 Civil War soldiers there from the North. But here's the reason why Decoration Day in the South wound up yielding to Memorial Day from the North, and it's really very simply logistics. By 1890, every Northern state had made a Decoration Day an official state holiday on May the 30th. 
The southern states, on the other hand, continue to honor the dead on separate days up past World War I. Memorial Day became the more common name for Decoration Day because once World War I rolled around, they realized that Decoration Day was primarily for those who fought in the Civil War. It became Memorial Day, and eventually, by the time 1971 rolled around with the Monday holiday bill, American military personnel who have died in all wars, including World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, Iraq, Afghanistan, are now honored on this day. So if you have a family member who paid the ultimate price to defend our freedom, thank you for that service. If you are part of a family that remembers Decoration Day because the government overlooked you, Thank you for starting a tradition and thank you for allowing us to help tell the whole story of the Decoration Day to Memorial Day morphing, as it were. There's a rich history there. And even today, we're still finding churches that are exhuming bodies of enslaved people who were buried without any marker, without any headstone, with the DNA technology. Now we're tracing more family history and roots, and that's important. May we use this Memorial Day as a day to truly truly remember our humanity, but also God's providence and deity and sovereignty in our lives. Lord, thank you for giving us a land and giving us the technology where we can show the value of human beings simply by just remembering who these people were and are. Because we know that many of them were and are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We give this day to you in Jesus' precious and powerful name and all God's people said, amen. Okay, as we continue, more Memorial Day remembrances here on this special edition of The Bottom Line. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Understanding and loving a person with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, Joined for this conversation by Becky Johnson, uh, the author of more than 60 books. Uh, She looks at all sorts of different types of, uh, uh, anywhere from self-help to cooking to inspiration. Uh, She lives with her husband, who's a good acquaintance of mine in Colorado with their family too. Becky, it's great to have you on The Bottom Line show today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm just really looking forward to this this chit-chat. Yeah, and, and I'm looking forward to it, too, though I know some people would say, Roger, you're weird. Why are you looking forward to a conversation about post-traumatic stress disorder? But <laughs> but I think I, I'm, I'm grateful, first of all, because of your expertise, Becky, in, in this area and in the, in the way you've written in this new book. But also, too, it's a conversation, I think, the more dialogue we have about it, it might make it a little easier for people, first of all, to understand what it is, but secondly, for families who are impacted by it to say, hey, you know what, I'm not the only one. I'm not going through this all by myself. Is that an accurate assessment? Right, and 70% of people have some kind of trauma in their life. I mean, it's going to touch us at one point or another, and we may have children that have been traumatized. So about 20% go on to get PTSD, but in between there, if you have experienced a trauma or your child's experienced a trauma, maybe they're not going to get full-blown PTSD, or maybe you can help prevent them from getting it. Um, by by using some of the things that are in this book. So I do think it touches a wide variety of the population, more than we tend to think. Mm -hmm. And I was noticing the Los Angeles Times had a headline on an article earlier this week, and it said, USA now stands for the United States of Anxiety. Oh, goodness. is Is that an accurate statement based on the work that you've done and the number of people who are saying, wow, I didn't realize that I was, that I've actually been impacted by PTSD? 
I really believe so. I think I think the political climate, I think um, the busy climate, and I think the technology and the social media, the things that have bombarded us, those things have added to the natural course of human uh, sorrow and anxiety and worry and the things that we've normally dealt with. I do feel like we're kind of on a fast-forward track mm-hmm. to anxiety, mm-hmm. yeah. and that we've got to be pretty proactive about calming that down. Mm-hmm. And that is another thing about PTSD and this book is that I give some just plain old helpful practical ideas on how to calm anxiety of any mm-hmm. kind for anyone. Well, that's good. Becky Johnson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Becky is the co-author, along with Steve Arterburn, of the brand new book called Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Biblical and Practical Wisdom to Build Empathy, Preserve Boundaries, and Show Compassion. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, what drew you into this type of writing? I mean, you write about a lot of different fields, but mm-hmm. this, is an, uh, this is one that's actually touched you uh, in many different ways. Talk about that. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think the thing that really got me interested was, um, first of all, I was in an abusive relationship for a long time. So Mm. I have what they call complex PTSD, which is a little bit different than uh, what they call PTSD-1, which is usually a traumatic one-time event. Okay. Like, you know, a bomb blows up or something. Car accident, fire in your home, something like that. Yeah. Where there's like off and on abuse or intermittent abuse. Those are a little bit more complicated. And it's really interesting. Just like a soldier will survive the war, mm-hmm. once he's safe is when he starts having the nightmares and, you know, these um, anxiety attacks. And that's exactly what happened to me. I survived the long-term uh, abusive relationship. But when I got into a safe, good, healthy marriage um, and everything was fine and I could finally breathe, mm-hmm. I began having nightmares. Interesting. And it's just because your body is finally safe and it says, okay. Now you can grieve that yeah. thing that you couldn't grieve, that mm-hmm. you, all those lumps that you swallowed, you know, when you couldn't, when you just had to survive. And so that happened to me, and it was very puzzling. And at the same time, I started working with Dr. Amen and a, one of his friends, Dr. Earl Henslin, who they do brain scans. Mm-hmm. And I decided to do a project with Dr. Henslin, and they gave me a free brain scan. So... I got my brain examined. And what was that? For everyone who said, Becky, you really need your head examined, you're like, okay, well, check this out. I mean, I really, <laughs> I really did it. It was so interesting. What I was going to say, I, I'm, of course, now they've had my chest ripped open and stuff like that. I'm like, anything like this, I'm like, this sounds so cool. What was it like? For, I mean, were you apprehensive going in or were you kind of like, okay, I want to see what this looks like? Yeah, both. Yeah, you know, okay. I was just hoping they'd find some kind of brain matter in there. <laughs> <laughs> anything else was gravy, right? <laughs> yes. And then, of course, I was a little bit concerned. You know, you just you you want to score high. I don't know. I'm an overachiever. I wanted mm-hmm. everything to be good, mm-hmm. and thankfully, my brain was basically. They have two kinds of scans. One just shows if it's the health of it, if it's getting pretty good blood flow everywhere, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was great. I was doing really well, but the, but on this other scan, it showed what Dr. Amen calls a diamond pattern, and so areas were that kind of form a diamond shape in the brain. And it makes sense when you think about it. So the areas that were overactive were the areas of fear and anxiety, mm-hmm. some depression, and then also this area of the brain that it's, I call it kind of like a, a, a gerbil wheel. You get stuck on a thought and can't mm-hmm. let go. Right. And so PTSD is all of that. It's sadness, it's anxiety, and it's getting stuck getting kidnapped emotionally by usually a looping thought Mm -hmm. that you can't let go of. And when they saw that, they asked me if I'd ever had any trauma. 
And I just started crying because it was like somebody was looking into my soul Mm -hmm. and saw what I was struggling with. But it was also eye-opening because I began to see, oh, this is my brain, and it has an issue. And I stopped internalizing it like it's not me. You are, I am not my trauma. Mm-hmm. You are not your trauma. Right. Your brain has been affected by your life circumstances, and so you need to calm your brain. And so that is, I think that's the most fascinating thing about getting a brain yes. scan is you detach. Oh my goodness. Becky Johnson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. She's the co-author of a brand new book in the Arterburn Wellness series called Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I, I'm thinking, Becky, I'm just fascinated, but it's kind of spellbinding to hear your story talking about Everything that you went through, the way that your brain kind of adjusted, kind of adapted. I mean, I think of people who experience childhood uh, abuse of any kind and how they're trying to cope with that. And it, it, I, I think that was a huge revelation for you to say, hey, look, you know, when you see a soldier who comes back, for example, from the war, the problems start when they get home because all of a sudden it's safe and they're not still in fighting combat mode. And for you being in an abusive marriage, I mean, you were you were just trying to survive every day. Once you got, right. into, a, once you got into a healthy marriage, that's when all the problems started. And so uh, there are pro- probably a lot of people who have symptoms of PTSD and don't even know it because they're still kind of in that, I'm fighting this thing off now. What are some of the symptoms that we should be looking for? I mean, as, as loved ones who care about other people saying, we want to, oh, we some want of the help. symptoms of, of if you if you have PTSD. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of them is you know the classic one is that you have repetitive nightmares, which I had. Um, sometimes you might have like just a drip, drip, drip kind of crying. It's a crying that is different than anything I've experienced before, mm-hmm. and it's just like I could be washing the dishes or taking a walk, and these tears would just start flowing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even conscious, but it was my body saying, okay, you can release those tears. And I think that's the weirdest thing about PTSD is it's both mental and, and it is spiritual mm-hmm. and, it is, and it is also body. And anybody who's ever had a frightening experience and afterwards you know your legs feel like jello mm-hmm. and you start trembling, that's your body getting rid of adrenaline. And so that often happens to people as they're healing from PTSD their body will actually tremble and let go of some of that stored up adrenaline. So it's really all of it. So that's that's another sign of it is if you have that kind of frequent trembling, if you get triggered by something mm-hmm. like uh, a, a, something that would trigger your memory, a scene, a, a smell, a, um, a song, any anything can trigger like, um, oh, I have a friend who was a soldier and he cannot go into a crowded place and if he isn't one, he has to look at the door because he's always thinking of how to escape because he experienced a bomb exploding in a oh, crowded wow. place. Well, oh, that my. makes sense, you know. Um, intrusive thoughts when you're not really wanting to think about it, but it just keeps coming at you. Um, really un- unbidden thoughts. Hmm. Sometimes people will get numb. Uh, they have kind of a deer in the headlights look. Men especially are prone to this one. They just kind of are talking to you, but they're in a far off place. Yeah. You can tell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are some of them. Shutting down is another one. Um, there's oh, oh, This is one increased startle response, which is kind of funny because I have a real high startle response. <laughs> 
And I have scared so many people at the grocery store. They'll say, uh-huh. may I help you? And I scream, and they scream. And <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because I, I've seen people have those moments before. And there's certain, I've got one of my daughters, especially, is one of those, ah, you know, kind of get into I it. Startle. And yeah, they, they startle people all the time. So then if it's magnified because of PTSD, it then, is. you know, it, it, but that also might be something that could potentially be overlooked as a sign. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Wow. So those are some things. Um, you know, there's more, but I don't want to read the whole book to That's you. That's okay. No, we're going to talk, take a break here and give our listeners a chance to go to the Bottom Line Show website and take a look at this book. The book is called Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Biblical and Practical Wisdom to Build Empathy, Preserve Boundaries, and Show Compassion. It's by Steve Arterburn and my guest today here on The Bottom Line, Becky Johnson. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com as we continue. We'll talk about how to become compassionate in the sense that, wow, there's someone in my world that's got PTSD, it's affecting a lot of other people, and I want to be compassionate. I don't just want to say, get over it, you know, but actually say, you know, things that would actually be a benefit. And then uh, we'll talk about the, uh, the, the post-traumatic growth. How do you move beyond what you're experiencing right now? More of my conversation with author Becky Johnson in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash wilsonfinancial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Becky Johnson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Becky is the co-author, along with Steve Arterburn, of the brand new book called Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Biblical and Practical Wisdom to Build Empathy, Preserve Boundaries, and Show Compassion. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And before the break, you were talking about your husband, Greg, and how when you survived a, a, an abusive marriage and then got into a marriage with, with him that's a lot healthier, a lot happier, because he's such a great guy. Um, <laughs> I think he's a great guy. True. Yeah. Um, but then that's kind of where the problems began for you, because it's like now I'm in a healthy place. I've got this wonderful man who loves me. He's not going to be abusive to me. And now all this kind of delayed you know, trauma is coming to the surface. What was it like initially for you? Was it you saying, gosh, I need help? Or was him saying, honey, are you okay? Right, right. Well, you know, um, when, when we got married, I sort of reverted whenever he would say something just maybe slightly maybe he would just sigh mm-hmm. and I would feel oh he's disappointed and I would eventually and I would my brain would race to that feeling when my ex was disappointed and it always signaled danger danger mm-hmm. so my reaction was um one of three usually the the three f's I would um flight mm-hmm. I would want to leave uh fight I'd want to just push back aggressively or I'd freeze I just kind of mm. go into the deer in the headlight thing mm-hmm. And I don't know how he knew to do this, but one day he just sat down and he said what I would call, I would call this a reparative moment, because what he said to me is, you know what, Becky, 
when you feel hurt or angry or afraid, you don't have to leave because I'm not going anywhere. Mm, mm-hmm. And you never need to raise your voice or push back or fight because I'm always going to sit and listen. And you don't have to freeze or tense up because I'm going to give you all the space you need and I'm here to hold you when you're ready for a warm embrace. Mm-hmm. And so that was so significant. In fact, we've shared that with several couples that mm-hmm. maybe they weren't dealing with PTSD, but other things. There's always something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we, bring, right. we bring a baggage to a marriage. And it was such a healing thing for a husband to say mm-hmm. that it totally changed how I responded to him and the trust that I had. And then he followed through on that. Um, you know, he, he was always there. He did listen. Mm-hmm. And over time, the trust began to come, and now I just, I hardly even, I don't have many triggers anymore. Wow. And if I do, there I speed through the process mm-hmm. much, much faster. Sure, sure. I am healing. Mm-hmm. Well, that is that is so great to hear, and Becky Johnson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, talking about the book that she has co-authored with Steve Arterburn, Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Becky, you have a chapter in this book that talks about something that I'm sure a lot of people, I mean, introverts like you and me, understand the value of kind of getting away from the crowd every now and again, but especially as you're dealing with PTSD, there is a time to connect, there's a time to withdraw. Talk about how you learn how to, you know, identify the difference so you don't wind up saying, I have PTSD, so everyone just get away from me. You know, I, right. I, I can't be with you, you know. Right, and I think that is, that is a question that people have a lot. I mean, they, so let's say that you have a, a spouse who's dealing with PTSD and maybe they're withdrawing and you're lonely, um, and you're, you know, you want to pull them out of their shell. And how do you know if they need that time? Because, you know, people sometimes need that space. Mm-hmm. Well, I think if they have a, a pretty good balance of engaging in the world and engaging with you and, so, and, um, and also time alone, they're probably doing fine. Mm-hmm. But quite often, this is just true for all marriages, whether or not somebody has PTSD, but it's more pronounced. And for me, I do need more downtime, mm-hmm. and I need things to be more consistent. And if I'm going to be social, it's going to take me a lot more emotional energy than it takes Greg. Mm-hmm. And that was hard on us at first because he, he knew that I was fun to have around, and I am. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty fun Of course person. you are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he thought just because I was fun and social that I'd want to do that all the time, but like we were talking about before the show, both of us are that way, but we both need a nap afterwards. Right, We right. need some quiet time. We have to go fill that empty well. Yeah. He doesn't seem to need it as much. Um, he's just kind of steady, and he can be out there all the time. Mm-hmm. So he would probably say 70% social, 30% down. I'm exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. I think this is a conversation all couples need to have. Yes. If you have someone with PTSD, you need to have it even more so because you've got to find some kind of balance that you both feel like you're being nourished and fed mm-hmm. and, um, and, and also calmed. Because, you know, if I get out of balance, I'm not as much fun to live with, and he's learned that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like the way you put that. It's very diplomatic. But uh, the, the reality is, though, as Becky Johnson sharing with us today here on The Bottom Line, when you're understanding and loving a person with post-traumatic stress disorder, you've got I mean, it's all about healing. 
first and foremost. So is it, do we need to be connected to people? That's part of the healing process. Do we need some downtime to recover from that? That's part of the healing process too. And, and there's a certain measure of compassion that has to be present, I would imagine, Becky, if you're, if you're actually going to get to this place, because it's not just the person with the PTSD. I was talking to a, a military mom, her, her son came home mm-hmm. with PTSD, and she started doing some research on just the military side of this. And she said, you know, you're looking at a factor of 10 other people who get impacted by the fact that you have PTSD. Is that, is wow. that, I mean, think, think about your husband, your children, uh, right. siblings, coworkers, that type of stuff. She said, on average, you figure that every person with PTSD is impacting the lives of 10 other people. So there's a lot of room for compassion, but there's also maybe a, a, a lot more room for misunderstanding and, you know, saying the wrong things and that type. What, what are some of the things that we should avoid saying to somebody who's going through PTSD? Well, you know, <clears throat> Like, for example, um, I think when somebody calls and they're, or they, they, um, they're in it, they're, they've been triggered. You know, what you want to do automatically is you want to just talk to them about their trigger and calm them down. And that's not necessarily the best thing to do. And there's some techniques because they're kind of caught in this loop. So how do you get them out of the loop if they've been triggered? And one of the ways you do that is called grounding. And that is you ask them like, okay, now where are you? What are you doing right now? Mm-hmm. What are you touching? What are you smelling? So you kind of go through the senses because that helps them pull away from that being caught up in that kidnapped thought, pulls them back to earth. And then you want to try to help redirect them. And so the best question for this and the one that feels the best to me is when Greg will say, what do you need? What mm. do you think might make you feel just a little bit better? So what that does is it makes that person the PTSD person's brain mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. to start thinking about, hmm, what do I need? Yeah. What do I want? And then so your brain starts disconnecting from that little gerbil wheel and starts being curious. Mm-hmm. And curiosity is a wonderful thing. It feels good to the brain. And so that begins to draw the person out, what they need, what they want, what would feel good. And pretty soon you're able to talk. Um, sometimes they'll say, I need a walk or I need a, a, a hot a hot cup of tea, or mm-hmm. I want to go sit on the porch swing. It doesn't matter. I need to pet the cat. Um, does ice cream fit? Does ice cream figure into that, that too, way. Becky? Ice cream or cookies or candy or anything? I mean, I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Whatever you need. Yeah. It's fine. Whatever you need. Well, you said a cup of tea, and so I thought, or ice cream, or you know, that's. But no. But seriously, though, I like that question. What do you need? I had a friend who was dealing with this in a relationship with a sibling, and they would always ask, "Where'd you go?" You know, kind of like a, like your eyes are wandering or whatever. Yeah. And I thought, that that's a nice question, but what do you need is a lot more personal and helpful, I think. Oh, and compassionate. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where'd yeah. you go is sort of uh, has a little bit of an accusation undertone yeah. to yeah. it. What do you need is has a compassionate, what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. I yeah. understand that you're hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and that's the, 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 the undercurrent through running throughout this entire book. Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder by Steve Arterburn and Becky Johnson, the whole idea is compassion. This is about healing. This is about restoration. It's about identifying, you know, what are the triggers, what are the signs, what are the symptoms, but then biblical and practical wisdom to build empathy, preserve boundaries, and show compassion. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com on post-traumatic growth. And, and how, now that we've identified, you know, that there's someone in your world that is dealing with this, or maybe you're hearing this and saying, wow, that sounds a lot like me, um, what, what, how do we move forward? And, and what kind of growth is there? Because this is not just about survival and learning how to kind of manage it and maintain it. Uh, as Becky Johnson's been sharing with us, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of healing and hope for people. 
Uh, Becky, I was talking about the fact that you you wind this up with a list of some suggested resources, of course, but also um, a whole chapter devoted to post-traumatic growth. And I thought that was so helpful because I think a lot of times people think of PTSD as like, how do we just survive this? But you want to take people into the thriving mode. Talk about that. Exactly. Not only is healing possible, but you can, you can actually be enriched. Your life can be enriched because of the trauma that you experience if, if you allow the Lord to use it and you find benefit, as they call it benefit um, findings, so you look for, for benefits in it. You know, between 30 and 70 percent of people who experience a trauma also report positive change and growth after they come out of the traumatic experience, and that's what we need to focus on. And so when you are experiencing post-traumatic growth, and these are kind of some signs that you know that you're getting there, you have learned to overcome helplessness. Because, you know, when you, when you are traumatized, it is a, the extreme feeling of helplessness. It usually is something that you couldn't control. You couldn't stop. It just came in out of the blue. And so you want to feel that you're not helpless anymore. So any thoughts that help you feel less like a victim and more like a victor um, tend to help a lot. You know, you need to be in control of, of more things because, and especially your PTSD person, mm-hmm. you need to give them um, control over their own life. You know, that's why we ask, what do you need? What do you want? What do you think would work? Mm-hmm. You put it back in their power because that little bit of personal power helps so much. Boy, those are those are so helpful because that, that meaning part, I mean, I, I would imagine that, that gerbil wheel you were talking about earlier, the kind of the repetitive thoughts and things like that. Right, yeah, right. Very. And, and so understanding that <clears throat> trauma is not about, you know, not about anything that you just, and you'll need a little bit more help, but you will get through it because that was me and yeah. I'm through it. <laughs> you certainly are. And it's so good to know that there is hope. And there will be meaning through all of this and the fact that you can, uh, you know, have the kind of testimony that Becky Johnson has. uh, But it does take a little bit of work. But God is more than able to do that work in you if you're willing to uh, submit yourself to it. Uh, Steve Arterburn and Becky Johnson, the brand new book is called Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Biblical and Practical Wisdom to Build Empathy, Preserve Boundaries and Show Compassion. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Becky, thanks for the conversation and thanks for the work you've put into this uh, research in this book. I know it's going to help a lot of people. Thanks for being with me today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And that concludes my conversation that we revisited today here on The Bottom Line. Becky Johnson, the co-author along with Steve Arterburn of a really powerful book called Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Biblical and Practical Wisdom to Build Empathy, Preserve Boundaries, and Show Compassion. There's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And today, as we think about Memorial Day and the men and women who paid the ultimate price, uh, maybe you went to uh, uh, a graveyard or put flowers on a headstone uh, for that family member of yours who lost their lives in battle for the military defending our freedom. Think about those who come back and... um, Well, I'll share a little poem about uh, how PTSD still impacts our culture even today and what we in the body of Christ could do about it. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But 
The first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. My thanks again to Becky Johnson for joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show, special Memorial Day edition, and uh, we discussed the book Understanding and Loving a Person with Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Years ago, there was about 40 years ago now, there was a Scottish rock and roll band called Big Country. They weren't a Christian band, but they uh, wrote songs about overcoming and and uh, trying to stand strong, and they wrote a song that was kind of a, a war protest song called Where the Rose is Sown. And it was about uh, uh, guys who marched off to war when they were younger, and then they came back from battle, and things were a little different when they did. Uh, but the final line of the song, Stuart Adamson, the lead singer, sings, um, If I die in a combat zone, box me up and send me home. But if I die and still come home, lay me where the rose is sown. Uh, Stuart battled from depression his life, and he ultimately wound up taking his own life at a relatively young age. But post-traumatic stress disorder is a reality in our culture. And it doesn't it isn't limited just to people in the military. You may have gone through a horrific childhood and have some PTSD because of an abusive parent, or maybe you have PTSD because of an abusive spouse, or maybe a PTSD because of, a, of an abusive church relationship. There is help, there is hope, it's biblical and practical wisdom, but it starts with having empathy for other people and preserving boundaries that are healthy and showing compassion for people who are struggling in this area. God loves you. God can heal your wounds if you'll bring them to him. Doesn't mean you won't have some cool scars to show, but it definitely means that you've got some work to do. But that is good news that there's healing, and that's the bottom line.